Good morning. Join with me, please, as we read John chapter 6, verses 48 through 59. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to week three on Jesus as the bread of life. Lord, we ask for your help. Because the simple fact that you are the bread of life does not mean that we will see you as such or partake of you as such unless you enable us to do such. But you are a good enabler. Enable this weak preacher. Send forth your infinitely strong word and direct our spiritual appetite to the banquet that is Jesus. Amen. Speaking of banquets and feasting, have you ever noticed how human beings are not born knowing how to do the most basic functions necessary in order to live? Um, Eating included. The, The most basic Eating skills have to be learned. So nursing is an acquired skill. I did not know that until we started having children. Doesn't it just kind of 
happen? (laughs) Well, no, it's acquired. Swallowing more baby food than you spit out is an acquired skill, right? Uh, So so is navigating the, the 18 or so inches between the open baby food jar and your mouth without what? Flipping the spoon upside down, or did you know spoons are good for this too? You, you can catapult carrots <laughs> or other desirable vegetables onto the floor. You know, it, we have to learn these kinds of skills, right? Otherwise, we create problems. There's a reason we give Cheerios to one-year-olds, not chicken wings. And, and then, you know, when they're finally old enough, and some of you are thinking, I'm waiting for the day, Williams, you know, where, where we can hold a knife without impaling ourselves or, or a parent or the brother sitting, you know, sit, sit next to us, we still have to learn what? How to combine that knife with a fork and effectively cut up a piece of meat. We, we we're not born, in other words, knowing how to nourish our bodies, how to eat. Most basic of human functions, that has to be learned. Guess what, friends? None of us are born knowing how to nourish our souls either. That, too, has to be learned, acquired. We, we have to what? We have to learn that the pleasures of this world are broken cisterns that can hold no water. We have to learn that, that we were created for relationship with God, for the joy of knowing him and loving him and serving him. We have to learn that, that sin destroys that relationship and, and makes us liable, all of us, to divine judgment. We have to learn there's, there's no other way for our sins to be forgiven or our relationship with God to be restored except through faith in Jesus. And we have to learn how to trust and obey Jesus in every area of life, so that our souls might be fully satisfied in him. All of that has to be learned. And that means that that you can know in your head that John 6.35 is true. What's that verse say? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You can know that in your head. You, maybe you even agree that somehow in some way, the answer to your deepest longings, your greatest fears is Jesus. You don't even have to be a Christian to realize that. But what does it actually mean? Think about this. What's it actually mean to come to Jesus and to believe in Jesus? What's that mean? Well, that's where John 6, verses 48 to 59, is really helpful. Really helpful. Because Jesus, in verse 48, he he repeats the theme of the entire chapter. I am the bread of life. Period. He, He alone can satisfy your soul, friend. That's what he's saying. So what does that mean you should do? You should what? You should make trusting Jesus the supreme ambition of your life. That's what you should do. But then Jesus pivots in verse 49 from explaining the the origin of faith 
which has been the theme of verses 36 through 47, to describing the nature of genuine faith in verses 49 through 59. Why why does he pivot like that? Because we need to know where faith comes from, its origin. What's the origin of genuine faith? It's the sovereign will and effectual work of God. But we also need to know, not just where it comes from, but, but what does faith consist of? What, what's it look like? So we can actually embrace it and practice it. You know, Christians, and, and this is worth paying attention to. If you ever find a word or a phrase that Christians seem to use all the time, odds are good that the more we use a word, many times the less we actually know what it means. You ever realize that? It, it just becomes part of our jargon. We don't want something as important as faith to be jargon. We didn't know what that means. So let's look at a few answers in John 6. What is faith, genuine faith? First, faith is focused on the person and work of Jesus. Verses 49 to 51. If if you want to To quickly grasp the structure of this entire passage, it's it's really framed in terms of a contrast between two kinds of bread or nourishment. Bookends this section. And and what Jesus says about the first kind of bread or nourishment in verse 49 may surprise you. Look there. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Where did the manna come from? From God. If you're not familiar with the story, don't worry. Basically, when the the Lord delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt, they were in a desert. And what did he do? He provided food for them every morning, six days a week, in the form of a a fine wafer-like substance on the ground. It's kind of like dew. They called it manna, or what is it? literally. And they fed off that for 40 years. But you know what happened to all the adults who came out of Egypt and ate manna for 40 years except two? Well, before they could get where they were going into the promised land, they all died. The manna did what? It it sustained their physical life in this world for a short time, but that's all it did. It didn't give them spiritual life. It it certainly didn't guarantee the resurrection from the dead or the hope of life with God. Was it a gift from God? Yes. Did, Did God create manna and provide manna? Yes. Could it give them the life they needed most? No. Because it had no power to undo the curse of death. It had no power to deliver them from the judgment their sins deserve. What's the point here? What, What is Jesus urging us to recognize? That all of God's gifts are good, but only one of them gives life, friend. Think about that. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. Here's where we tend to go off the rails on this. Or or just get this whole section wrong. Jesus is not 
one of many gifts on just kind of an equal distribution of things God gives. Okay? He is a categorically different sort of gift, friend. He's an, he's an infinitely superior kind of gift. Why? Because he's the only gift, the only good thing that has ever come down from heaven out of a lot of good things that have come down from heaven that can give you life. Lots of good things. Every good gift comes down from what? From above. But there is only one of them that gives you life. The best every other gift can touch, whether that's a rewarding job or a healthy body or a strong marriage or financial stability, that the best it can touch is the momentary blip that is your existence on earth. That's the best it can do. Only Jesus can give you real life. Both now and for all eternity. Verse 51 tells us how he does it. Look there. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's not not abstract or weird. How exactly, out of all the good gifts that God's given, why is Jesus the one gift that gives us life? How does he do that? Well, there's nothing metaphorical here about the word Jesus uses for flesh. Okay, it was living, breathing, blood-filled flesh that Jesus gave as a physical sacrifice when he died on the cross. Why did he do that? Hebrews 9 verse 22. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Okay, that the justice of God has to be satisfied. That the debt of your rebellion against the Holy One, has to be paid. And it will be paid. That means, please hear this, friend, that the death of Christ is it's immeasurably more, infinitely more, than an inspiring example of self-sacrifice. What, what is it? It's nothing less than the very price of your atonement. And you need to know that no other payment is sufficient and, praise be to God, no other payment is necessary. Both of those things are true. And that means, listen, genuine faith has a fundamentally cruciform character to it. Follow this, okay? Faith is not a mere belief that God is real or that God has a plan or that everything will work out in the end, or that if we just try hard enough, he'll make up the rest. No. That's not what faith is, okay? Biblical faith is focused on the gospel, on the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection for you, a sinner. And that means it has a particular object. Faith isn't just, well, you know, I'm into spiritual things and Sometimes I get it through yoga. Nonsense. Okay? Faith has an object. The person and work of Christ. And why is that? It's not complicated. It's because every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places flows down from one hill and one hill only. What is that hill? It's a hill called Calvary. You need to know that. You won't find it through mindfulness. 
Because it's at Calvary we find life in the form of peace with God. Okay, a peace that doesn't come from knowing we've done enough, but that Jesus has done it all. At Calvary, we find life in the form of power from God. Okay, a power, a real power that, that overcomes sin, conquers evil, and vindicates weak people on the final day. At Calvary, we find comfort in God. You know, a, a God who is familiar with sorrows, present in our suffering, and, and knows how to use the worst acts of men for our good and his glory. That's what we see at Calvary. At Calvary, we find identity and purpose in God. You know, adoption as, as his sons and daughters and, and, and a glory to live for that's greater than you. <laughs> and so the life Jesus holds out to us, friends, bottom line, through the, the offering up of his flesh is immeasurably more than a pass on the day of judgment, okay? He, he came to give you the fullest possible life you could have. Not, not life for good people or wealthy people or white people, but life for what? Verse 51, life for the world. For any man or woman who, who's willing to cling to Jesus to give you the satisfaction of soul he alone can provide. What, what's faith? Answer one, genuine faith, saving faith, it's focused somewhere. It's focused on the personal work of Christ because as J.C. Ryle once said, the preaching of Christ crucified, the old story of his blood and righteousness and substitution is enough. It's enough for all the spiritual necessities of all mankind. Do you realize, friend, it is enough for you too? You're not an exception to that. Yeah, all mankind except me and my little suffering. No. Christ crucified is enough for you too. Because the life we have in him, the life that flows down from that hill called Calvary, is so much more than just a get out of jail free on the day of judgment. What is faith? Answer number two. We could linger so long on all these. It's, what is faith? It's expressed. It's focused somewhere. It's also expressed. It's expressed through exclusive dependence on Jesus. Verses 52 to 55. I'm really grateful, diving into this here, that, that the Bible preserves more than just what Jesus said to people. Do you ever think about this? It, it doesn't just preserve what Jesus said to people. It actually also records what other people were asking Jesus, right? That, that prompted him to say things, or we get these glimpses of how they responded to what he was saying. In other words, I'm super thankful the Bible isn't a red-letter monologue. Why? Because so often the things that People in the first century ask, what do you know? It's the same stuff we ask today. <laughs> so look at verse 52. Jesus told them, it, 
Faith is focused on the person work of Christ, though they immediately were confused and disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because he said, what, in verse 50, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So how is he going to give us his flesh to eat? That's the big question. But, but you can also think of it in these terms, okay? I, maybe you get or at least acknowledge faith is focused on the person and work of Christ. But, but how do we actually come to experience the life that is found in him? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 53? What's his answer to the how? Truly, truly, I say to you, how do you get this life? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Jesus wouldn't have made a good politician. (laughs) Because when pressed, he doesn't soften his language or apologize for potentially misspeaking. He doubles down. We, we, we must eat of him and drink of him in order to have life. And of course, that smacked of what? Cannibalism. <laughs> and it was kind of weird because what did God tell the people of Israel to do in the law that they knew so well? You shall not eat or drink blood. So how, Jesus, can you possibly give us your actual flesh and blood to eat and drink? It made no sense to them. Here's why. Because they were on a roll only thinking in physical terms. This has come up over and over again in John. Yes, Jesus says he is the bread of life. And yes, he uses a physical word to describe the means by which we partake of his life. Eating. But he doesn't have literal eating in view. Okay? Risk of stating the obvious, it's figurative language. It's, it's symbolic language. And, let, and if you find yourself thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Matthew. How do I know that? Well, don't just take my word for it, okay? It's like when Jesus says, I am the door or I am the vine. He doesn't mean he's a literal door <laughs> or a literal vine. He, he's drawing an analogy. He does it all the time. Using an illustration from the physical realm to teach us something that's true in the spiritual realm. That's normal. And if you want even further proof, why do we know he's doing that here, Williams? Well, good question. Look at the parallel between verses 54 and verse 47. Okay? In verse 54, who has eternal life? What's Jesus say? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. In verse 47, who has eternal life? Whoever believes. Okay, so the metaphor of of eating and drinking, in other words, it's a picture, an illustration of the vibrant, life-giving activity of faith or belief. Eating and drinking, that illustration, it helps us understand something of what genuine faith is and does. What is that? What is faith? It draws spiritual nourishment from Jesus through exclusive dependence on Jesus. That's what faith is. So so in the same way we nourish our physical bodies through the physical act of eating and drinking, so too we nourish our souls through the spiritual act 
of depending on Jesus. That's what faith is. So, so let's just think for a minute here about what this comparison between physical eating and faith teaches us about the nature of faith. Okay, because Jesus' illustrations are so helpful. All right? Several things. I, I'll, I'll mention at least three. First, faith is necessary. Maybe it's, yeah, duh, Matthew. Well, well, slow down. Think about this, okay? There are not multiple ways to sustain your physical life. I mean, you, you have to eat and drink. And don't get all technical with me. Well, what about a feeding tube? Well, that person is still being fed, okay, and drinking. I mean, you, you, you can tell yourself, well, you know, truth's relative, so some people live by eating and drinking, but I'm not really into that. I, I prefer to work out and play video games, and that's how I sustain my life. I never eat and drink. Well, as John Adams once said, facts are stubborn things. <laughs> You know, you, you can choose not to eat physical food, but you won't live very long if you do that. In the same way, okay, there are not multiple ways to sustain your spiritual life. There's, there's not. You, you might feel like you have life in all sorts of things, like shopping or well-behaved kids or a have, you know, house of your dreams or achievement in work or, or really good sex or whatever. But that life you feel in that thing, friend, it's not real life. At, at, at best, it's a signpost. In many cases, it's a mirage, a house of cards. Because there are not multiple sources of spiritual life. There's only one, and we know his name, and it's Jesus. And so unless you choose to depend on him, you're going to remain both spiritually dead in the present, and you'll experience spiritual death for all eternity. Faith, faith is necessary, okay? Second, faith is persistent. It's persistent. I, I hate to break it to you, but, but eating a really big meal after church today is just, sorry, not going to keep you going on Wednesday morning. It's not. I mean, you can try, but facts are stubborn things. We, we have to eat again and again and again. And, you know, some of us say, oh, and some of us say, yes, you know. And the same holds with faith in Jesus, okay? Faith in Jesus isn't something you acquire at at one point in your life and then move on. No, it's, it's not something we get so much as it's something that we do, okay? Over and over and over again, just like eating. Persistence is required. Dependence on Jesus, because that's what faith is, is, is a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment -moment sort of thing. Okay, it's the only way to experience spiritual life. L lastly, faith is normal. I want to be really careful here because there is absolutely nothing ordinary about genuine faith. Okay, it's what? A supernatural gift from God every time. 
But there are many times dependence on Jesus feels a lot like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay, he is exquisitely satisfying, friends. He's the bread of life. But many expressions of dependence on him feel rather normal. <laughs> you know, just, just like a lot of the food that you eat. And, and that's a good thing, friend. Why? Because depending on Jesus should be normal. You were made to depend on Jesus. It, it should be the status quo. It's only because of sin that it's not. So what's this dependence look like? Well, we express dependence on Jesus when we open our Bibles day after day to, to meditate on his word, even when you just feel like sleeping longer. You know, we, we express dependence on Jesus when we choose together like this with the saints for worship Sunday after Sunday, even when, honestly, we really kind of feel like making a big bref- breakfast and just doing church from a couch as if that were the same thing. I know I'm stepping on toes. But, but, it, but it's an expression of dependence on Jesus when we say, Lord, you have something for me in the gathering of the saints. And so if I can, if there's any possible way I can safely be here, I want to be here. We express dependence on Jesus when we give generously to the work of the gospel. You know, even when it might feel more rewarding to pay off your credit card debt. Or we express dependence on Jesus when, try this one out, okay? We close our mouth (laughs) and trust him to vindicate us instead of berating our spouse or berating our kids until they admit it. You're right. What what, what do all those examples teach us? I mean, I I could just keep going on, right? What do they all teach us about dependence on Jesus? That that faith in Jesus isn't something you get and then move on with your life. It's a way of doing life, and it's not part of the autonomous nervous system. (laughs) It requires sustained, strenuous, sacrificial effort. And it's not flashy and it doesn't always pay immediate dividends, you know? If, if maybe you've been realized this end of 2020 that you've just been eating junk food for way too long and suddenly you just, uh, you know what, January 1st, I'm going on a diet. I'm going to eat good food. I hate vegetables. I'm only going to eat vegetables. And it's been two weeks and you're not really seeing results. Oh, well, scrap that. I mean, I knew it all along. That's, that, that was just for the birds. I, back to my junk food. Well, well, no, right? You might not see immediate results, but what do you have to do? You have to persevere. It takes work. And in the long run, eating the right food will have a profound effect, for the better, on your body. And so this whole analogy of eating, it's, it's so helpful because it helps us understand things like the necessity the perseverance and the, the day in and day out character of genuine faith. You know, Jesus' words here, sometimes people wonder this, they're not primarily a description of what happens when we share the Lord's Supper. Okay, they're not. The, the language of eating and drinking here in John 6, it's pointing to something even more fundamental. It, it describes the reality of faith, 
of expressing dependence on Jesus for the spiritual nourishment he alone can provide. And so in that sense, John 6 is not about the Lord's Supper, but it is about the spiritual reality to which the Lord's Supper points. What's that? When it's eaten rightly, it's the nature of genuine faith. It feeds on Christ. We do that in the supper, but we also do that in thousands of other ways. St. Augustine says it well. Believe and you have eaten. I love the simplicity of that because that's what faith is. Depending on Jesus for the life he alone can provide. Lastly, what's faith? We'll end with this answer. Faith produces life-giving union with Jesus. This is an incredible gift, friends. Jesus is not like the marketing team at Nike in that he never says, just do it. He always what? He gives us reasons why we should do something. He's a good shepherd. And and throughout John 6, Jesus tells us to feed on him by faith because it is the only path of eternal life. But please notice, I did not say because it leads to eternal life. As if all faith produces is a future reward. Okay? Will those, think about this, will those who believe in Jesus be raised up by Jesus unto eternal life with Jesus on the final day? Yes, absolutely. Praise be to God. But, but there is a distinctly, hear this, a distinctly present right here, right now, today character to the eternal life you have in Christ. Look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, what? has eternal life presently which means right now right here even before we get to glory Christian you get to experience the joy of life in Christ and verse 56 look there reveals one of the sweetest of our many present blessings to this eternal life. And and in fact, you could argue it's the means through which we receive all of them. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is incredible. To to abide in Christ is, is to dwell or remain in him. Okay? It's it's not a, a formal relationship or a distant relationship. It's an intimate relationship constituted through a covenantal union by which the Holy Spirit unites us to the Son of God so that you, Christian, are one with the Son of God. We're not not absorbed into the divine in a Buddhist sense because Jesus remains a distinct person from us and altogether different than us, right? That was another good moment to say amen because he is always what? The infinite creator 
And even though we are united to him, what do we remain? The finite creature. Let let us have none of this erasing the creator-creature distinction idolatry by thinking that, that we can somehow be absorbed into the divine essence. And yet, we are inseparably connected with him as our representative head. Such that what? Here's the payoff. His death is our death. His life is our life. His privileges are our privileges. His reward is our reward. And his inheritance is our inheritance. So when we believe in him, we abide in him and he in us. And and there are times, honestly, maybe you've experienced this, Christian, when when we're meditating on God's word or we're engaged in prayer or we're we're worshiping with God's people when the spirit blesses us with, with a heightened awareness, a sense of the nearness of Christ. And and you experience that joy of intimate fellowship with him. And and yet, there are also other times where, often in suffering, Jesus feels a million miles away. You know, and and then sometimes there are other times where where unrepentant sin in our life, because that is a thing, can prompt God as as a loving father to discipline us by temporarily withdrawing an experiential sense of his nearness and presence. To get our attention or to teach us to trust him. But in all those circumstances, okay, the Savior's promise to his people remains. This is the point. That that on your good days, on your bad days, on on your God feels far away days, on your I literally feel like God is sitting in the car next to me days, listen, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And there's not a power in hell that that can render that union asunder, friend. So so you might be waiting to see Jesus, okay? But you are not waiting to have Jesus. Because he abides in you. You abide in him. Verse 56 is a tremendous word of comfort for the Christian. But it's also an exhortation to what? To persevere and abound more and more in feeding on Jesus. Because that's the point of this whole passage, right? In depending on Jesus and in learning how to obediently trust Jesus in every area of life. Why does verse 56 exhort us toward that too? Well, because the more we feed on him by faith, the more we look to him, exclusively to him, for the nourishment of our souls and and less to all the broken cisterns of this world, what what do we experience more and more? A, A growing, a greater conscious awareness, experience of the joy of fellowship with him. And if you wonder what that joy consists of, look at verse 57. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. That's not jargon either. <laughs> okay, that, that means that when we are looking to Jesus, when we're depending on Jesus, when we're saying, Jesus, I'm leaning the weight of my life on you because only you can satisfy my soul. You know what happens? We receive and enter into something of the very life of God himself. Think about this. Through faith, God's joy 
becomes your joy. God's peace becomes your peace. God's righteousness becomes your righteousness. God's wisdom becomes your wisdom. God's priorities become your purposes. And God's sorrows become your sorrows. The the eternal unending life God himself enjoys has been granted to you, Christian. And so as, as the son has eternally derived life from his father, so too, Christian, you now derive your life from the Son. Your your life doesn't come from you, in other words. It's not something you create or you earn or, or you sustain. Your life comes from Him, from outside of yourself. It's something Jesus creates, Jesus sustains, and you receive. Genuine faith, I'll say it again, produces immeasurably more than this not guilty verdict on the final day produces a a life-giving union, affording intimate relationship, fellowship with Jesus, now and forever. So what's faith? What's focused on the personal work of Jesus? It's expressed through dependence on Jesus. It produces life-giving union with Jesus. And none of that happens automatically. None of it. A willful choice on your part is required. A choice that Jesus sets before all of us in verse 58. And a a choice, honestly, friend, that you made the moment you woke up today, that you are making right now, And you will make every day for the rest of your life. What's the choice? Simply, you can eat the bread of life that our fathers ate, the manna, and die. Or you can feed on Christ and look to him to nourish your soul and live forever. That's the choice. You you can feed on the bread of this world, which will momentarily feel like it gives you life, and then die. Or you can feed on Jesus and live. That's the choice. And what you need to know today and see in the word of God to you today, friend, is that that choice is real and that there is a table set for you. There is a meal ready for you. There is a Savior willing to receive you. And there are saints of old who are cheering you on. And so I simply exhort you, friend, come and eat. Come and eat. Feed by faith on the living bread. Why would you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Come to Jesus that your soul might live. And if you do, know that this meal is waiting for you. Revelation 7, 15. 
Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he'll guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, oh, you are the bread of life. Help us to feed on you. Help us to depend on you. Help us to be as serious and focused and diligent and attentive to nourishing our souls in you as we are to nourishing our bodies with food. We, we spend so much time, Lord, and money and energy and thought and for some of us just agony <laughs> laboring to, to rightly nourish our bodies. Jesus, <laughs> If we would put that much time into our physical bodies, how much more should we seek to nourish our immortal soul? Thanks for reminding us of that today. Help us to take your word seriously and feed on you by faith again and again and again. Because only you can give life. Everything else pales or points only to you. We love you. Amen.